This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. This episode of the podcast is a conversation with Tom Beyer. Instead of writing one of my normal introductions, I'm going to read you part of the foreword to Tom's book, Football Starts at Home. The foreword is written by John J. Ratty, who is the Associate Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And he says, can you teach football skills to a two-year-old? Tom decided to find out with his own two sons. He documented and videoed their progress and using this practical experience helped to develop Tom's philosophy, which was previously based on his countless hours coaching other people's children with more traditional methods. This book makes Tom's philosophy available to all parents in a simple and straightforward way. It also reaches into the cutting edge child development theory, which explains the benefits of utilizing Tom's methodology to not just improve technical football skills, but also to assist in the development of a young child's brain. This book explains how you can teach very young children the skills required to be a football player in a fun and self-motivating way, and anybody can do it. You don't need to be a professional coach like Tom. You just need to be a parent. End quote. Tom has been on this podcast before. Him and I talked about his mission to educate people parents specifically, that fundamental skills can and should be taught at a much earlier age than we think. And for whatever reason, that statement seems to be controversial. Uh, Tom battles with people on Twitter every day about this. And uh, we talk about that in, <laughs> in this conversation. Uh, this, this talk is also um, an update on what Tom has been doing, including releasing the second edition of his book. Before Tom and I spoke for the very first time, which uh, I've made that conversation available, there's a link to that in the write-up of uh, this episode on 343coaching.com. But before we recorded that first conversation a few years ago, Tom actually signed up and went through one of our online courses, one of 343's online courses. And after completing it, he said, and I quote, you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos than you might learn in any full-time coaching course, end quote. And... He went on to say some of the same things that I actually said about Tom's book, which is it's very straightforward, it's very simple, it's very easy to use, it's very easy to read, it's very easy to understand. So kind of on the same wavelength there, I guess. And while Tom's work is directed at parents, 343's free and premium membership programs are for coaches who want to develop themselves to their full potential by learning the gold standard methods for coaching possession-based soccer. And the 343 curriculum is delivered to you, like I said, in easy to use online courses that are loaded with video, audio, and ebook lessons. And all of that is available for a fraction of the price of other classes and courses that are out there. So if you are an ambitious coach and you want to learn from proven practitioners, it makes sense for you to get access to the 343 methodology. If you want, and if you're interested, you can find more information about the benefits of the 343 membership by visiting 343coaching.com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Tom Beyer.
All right, a lot to catch up on, man. What's uh, yeah, sure. what what's new? What's new in your world? Give me the update. I mean, you know, I've just spent about two months on the road, and I uh, was in the states. Got the uh, Houston Dynamo pilot program up and running, which is going very well. Uh, we just released the second edition of our book. We had the the Italians went and translated it and made it into an unbelievable product, man. They've like supercharged our book, like with illustrations and stuff. It's really good. And I just came back from Iceland, and I'm headed to um, to China on the weekend. So, man, things are things are booming for me. I'm still. Uh, I've got uh, tons of work that comes in and offers, and so you know, just let me enjoy it. It's fun. How do you how do you mitigate all this stuff that that comes in? How do you decide what to pursue and and what goes on the back burner and what just gets ignored completely? Yeah, that's a good question. It really is just the approach. Who is it? To be honest with you, and I'm not just saying this tongue in cheek. It's not about the money for me. I've made good money over my career. I've done very well. It's it's what the actual project is. Um, who can give me the biggest platform to to shout down to the to the masses? Our whole football starts at home uh, philosophy. So if it's a good project, I bite on it. Um, we get we get multiple different ways that people contact us. I mean, as you can imagine, I've got a pretty good network around the world. So I will get referrals. People will introduce me to different groups. A lot of it comes over social media. Um, you know, I do a lot of uh, interviews, such as I'm doing with you today. I had one last night and the day before. So I'm out there in the public. People are, know I'm pretty accessible. Um, and I just I look at it. But it really comes down to who can give me the biggest voice. That's really what it comes down to, who can give me the biggest platform. And I will, and I have traveled at my own cost to go and do things where I've got a huge platform versus turning down something for some pretty decent money that I think is pretty useless and it's not really going to help us to to kind of push our movement forward. Now I can say that of course because I'm I'm doing, you know, I've 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 been in this for a long time so it's not like I I need to do this to feed myself every day. But um I try to keep by those principles, you know, and 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 also I've got this kind of uh this kind of Warren Buffett kind of mantra of, of three points of do I like you, do I respect you, and do I trust you? And and if and if one of those are off, I basically kind of walk out of it. And so that's you know just kind of some of the some of the ways I approach uh, um, people who contact me. That's awesome insight, man. I feel like people. Uh, I mean, I I have to imagine a lot of people hit you up on a daily basis, and then having to deal with. You know what's real, what's not. What what should I pursue? What should I not? It, it's a it's a it's a battle. It's a it's a big thing. It, it is, and I you get more skillful at it. You get a little bit more disciplined. I used to answer every person that contacts me, <laughs> and, and and I'm not saying this. I literally, John, I'm not kidding you. Every single day, I wake up in the morning, and when I turn on my iPhone and go to my multiple different kind of you know uh, platforms that I I, I converse on. I've I've got new people coming to me every single day, and some of them are kind of what I call pie in the sky. I put them in the bin of like you know I roll my eyeballs. Some seem to be more interesting, and I just contact them back. But I've been doing it a long time, and I'm I'm a pretty good judge of what might have some wheels to it and what might not. But it it does kind of overwhelm you a bit, especially when I do interviews. After that, I see a surge of people who come to me, but um, it works out and. Um, you know, I, I don't. I try not to get into something that I don't think that I can. You know, actually have some impact on. So speaking of that, you 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 mentioned 
you just finished up a uh, or you you started a pilot program i think is what you said with houston dynamo you have yep. if i remember correctly you've done a pilot program before with a major league soccer franchise and i believe it was in seattle and yep. you got you you got some some um new eyes on you after after that and and more more so i think after it stopped and yep. Yep. You, you you started to you started to get a lot of people paying attention to you after that, I believe. So what was there a difference between what you did with Houston compared to Seattle? What are the expectations now that the pilot program is either, you know, completed or up and running? I'm not sure what the status of it is completely. Yeah. So what, what's the difference between those two situations and what are you hoping to, to, to get out of it now? Yeah. Um, the difference was apples and oranges, um, black and white. It was, it's coming. We had a, we, um, we were hired to create a pilot program for U.S. soccer, which we did, um, but it was in collaboration with MLS Club Seattle Sounders and the Washington State Association. So we actually held up our bar- end of the bargain. We did it. What what happened was is that then everybody was kind of sitting with their hands in the air thinking, okay, well, you created the, the, the pilot program, which we were supposed to do. We created the – I flew to Seattle, made some – presentations and won over both the state association and the Seattle Sounders. But then it was just a bit of a, um, uh, I'm trying to think of how I would even characterize it. It was just a big mess up. I mean, it's just bad timing. U.S. soccer was just uh, battling with all of the uh, presidential elections. And, you know, was Sunil Gulati going to run? Was he not going to run? Was Carlos Cardello going to run? Was he going to run? And meanwhile, the, uh, the deal to do that pilot program was hatched in Tokyo together with Sunil Gulati and Carlos Cordero sitting at the same table um, more than a year before that. So it just it just didn't work. Um, we learned from it. We basically regrouped. Um, and then we had interest from Houston Dynamo. So the difference here is, is that we were like there were four different parties that were involved in the original pilot program, which is ourselves the Washington State Association, Seattle Sounders, and U.S. Soccer. So just just imagining it, how difficult it is to bring all those groups together. So now the difference is, is that we're dealing with only one sole entity, and that's the Houston Dynamo. And we signed a three-year contract, and I they fly me in every quarter, which is four times a year, um, and we work on what's called the Houston Dynamo uh, Soccer Starts at Home program. And I've made a couple trips already. Um, we've kicked the whole thing off and it's going extremely well. Um, I think that, uh, it's going probably better than most people expected, at least on the club side of, of it. Um, so I'm very pleased and I just came back from a visit and my next visit will be early next year in January. How much variance is there in your programs that you implement, like say in China compared to Houston? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's a very good question because there's absolutely no one size that fits all. So we go in and based upon who we're working with, based upon what kind of resources they're going to have available, we design, and that's the key word, we design a program that fits you or whoever it is. So for example, um, in Houston, that is going in and basically being able to become the connector for the Houston Dynamo to all the various youth soccer clubs through parent ignition events, um, creating relevant like match day marketing materials for their match day program. We've got online presence that drives parents to their site and their games. And then who is it for? Well, it's for young parents. 
It's for even the sponsors who invest in the game, educational leaders, school districts, focusing on, on really young elementary-aged kids, you know, six years of age or below, preschools, Montessori, public-private charter schools, lots of youth organizations such as YMCA, city parks and recreation, which are always been viewed as kind of, you know, the non-competitive side of, you know, just send your kid to the YMCA because he's not real, he or she's not real serious about playing, or maybe they don't think they're good enough to play on another team. Well, we're going to change the perception and the beliefs of what the YMCA and the city parks and recreation organizations can do, because what our whole mantra is, is that they could become the most important link in the development phase. And then we've got recreational clubs and youth clubs. So these are all of the who we connect and who we try to hitch our wagon to. And then we're just relentless with our message. And that is, is that if you want to be a, a good soccer player, um, it, it all starts with, uh, with uh, at home. I mean, soccer skills can and should begin at, at home. And so we give parents the tools and the knowledge and the know-how on how to, you know, help uh, help create a love for the for the game. But before even the love for the game, the whole thing is, can we create that love for the ball first? You know, a little two, three, four, five, six year old has yet to figure out any context of playing in a in an organized team with teammates. What they want is the ball at their feet, and when they get a little bit older, they want to score goals. So what we try to do is facilitate a love for the ball. And that in, in, instead leads to falling in love with the game. Instead of in America where we try to force kids to fall in love with the game by throwing them into organized competition play when the ball gets in the way. So if you can understand that, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, what we're all about. But we've got, you know, a lot of research and science to back up. Um, and if you look at the, uh, the advanced countries that develop the best players, you'll find that their culture of development starts much, much earlier than everybody else's. And so that's what we try to be the game chamber at. I'm, I'm fascinated that you brought up the YMCA. I, my first job was actually at a YMCA, and one of my one of my first duties was uh, working in the program that we called Rookie Sports. And yep. it was to introduce three, four, five-year-olds to – yeah, just just sports in general, and and not necessarily team sports, but just introducing them to a soccer ball, introducing them to t ball, introducing them to a football, and so it's basically yep. just one hour one hour per week where parents would come and the parents would stay and they would watch, but the it, it was basically kind of organized chaos, I guess, in a way. Like if I if I have to think back to how I actually was involved in the in just facilitating the kids for just one hour, just just had a ball at their feet or they had a ball in their hands or something like that. I was only 18 at the time, so I didn't have an, any clue what I was doing as far as, uh, you know, running any type of structured program. But, um, but now that you mention it, you know, the YMCA is, is the first point of contact for so many kids, but yes. well, 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 well before they enter any type of like recreational league. I think that most, most leagues start at like six or seven years old. So the YMCA is reaching these kids at, at two, three and four years old, which is quite amazing. 100%. And again, to be very clear on it, what we're doing is we're trying to, we're trying to support organizations such as the YMCA city parks and recreation, because we can then get access to the parents. And that's the key. It's the same message over and over again, is that can we facilitate some kind of connection with the parents so that the parents can in turn help their kids? Now, you know, this doesn't necessarily fit in the context of teams. 
And, you know, what you can replicate with a child inside your living room or in your backyard by mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or whoever the, you know, the primary caretaker is, is very difficult to replicate out on a pitch with, a, a, I don't like to use the word strange coach, but someone that they're not very familiar with. Because I know because I've got kids and I know what the challenge is, is that when you try to drop a little three, four, five, six-year-old off at, at, at any kind of um, collective kind of initiative, it's very difficult. So we're, we're saying, okay, don't, cha don't change that. Do what you're doing. Um, but consider this as a supplement because we know now, based on all of the science research that we've done, is that, you know, the advanced countries, their development starts much, much earlier. And it's, it starts at home. So, you know, we try, to, we try to show that through lots of different stories that we have, we have documented Players, whether it's Messi, Ronaldo, Iniesta, Modric, uh, Hazard, um, you know, the great players, or even, you know, players using them in, in the U.S., whether it's a Landon Donovan or it's a Clint Dempsey or a Polistic or, or any of these players, when you really look behind the curtain and you know what you're actually looking for, you'll usually find that there was a culture at home that basically started them off and gave them a flying start before they crossed over the line and organized play. I want to point out one thing you've you've touched on I think two or three times now is that this is all research and, and science like back. Yep. But yep. one one of the most unique things about the way that you present all of your information is that you don't sound like a researcher or a scientist. Yeah. And and, yep. the, and the language that you use throughout your book. I haven't I haven't read the second edition, but I, I did read the first edition and I've recommended sure. it to, to many, many people. But the the language in the book is not is not like a foreign language. It's it's like if you pick up like a research paper, sometimes like even though it's in English, I feel like it's it's completely different language. There's words in there that I've never seen before. But sure. um, but but the way that you present your information is, you know, anybody can pick up that book and know exactly what you're trying to say. And I think that's very valuable. Is that intentional? Yeah, I think it was. But we have evolved a little bit with the second edition. There is a little bit more interesting research in there, which is very. It's not difficult to uh, understand, but because I'm very fortunate to have a relationship with, with Dr. John Rady um, from, you know, one of the foremost neuropsychiatrists in the world from Harvard Medical School, um, I've been able to learn quite a bit. Uh, I've been exposed and around and influenced by some other experts in Europe as well who are in the field of neurology. Um, so it, for, for, so for the, when I first put the book out originally a few years ago, I couldn't really explain the science behind what was actually happening with my kids and why it was working so well inside the home. But then I started hanging out with these guys and they started, you know, explaining it to me. And I remember like it was yesterday, I was sitting here and I was having a phone conversation with Dr. John Rady. And whenever I speak to him, I've got my pen, my pad out and I'm writing down everything, every word I'm clinging on what he says. And one day he said to me, he said, listen, Tom, he goes, you don't understand. I don't really give a darn about developing soccer players. But what, but, but, but what you have discovered, and he said, quote, unquote, is the fountain of wisdom. And he started explaining to me about why and what's happening with a small child. Because when you take a little three or four-year-old and you're encouraging this ball mastery, uh, you know, again, I'm not an expert on it, so I'm, I'm basically telling you stuff that I'm hearing and that is now appearing in our book as well, in the second edition. And that is, is that the feet are the furthest distance from the brain. 
and we have very few opportunities to develop neural pathways um, other than standing, walking, and balancing. So ball mastery skills basically is helping to develop neural pathways, which also coincide and complement other disciplines. So certain parts of the brain that are responsible for reading, for mathematics, and balance, coordination, it's the same neural pathways, and they complement each other. So, for example, um, and this is, again, a quote just out of the book from Dr. Rady, exercise involving technical skills stimulates growth in the brain, and this growth reciprocates by improving those skills. The more you do, the better you get. So, you know, this is interesting because, and then another line that he's got is, physical activity and brain development go hand in hand and not just in parallel. Physical activity boosts brain power. So the reason this is important is because in my part of the world where I operate um, around, you know, countries like China, India, Southeast Asia, those countries basically look at sports or playing football as a distraction to education. So they keep their kids out of sport. So now we're able to go with, you know, science or research that shows that, wait a minute, if you're limiting your child's physical activity, um, you're basically putting them at a disadvantage because now they can correlate. The kids that exercise better, they just naturally do better academically. They have more focus. They have more um, uh, understanding or at least uh, um, self-confidence, belief. And like Dr. Rady said to me one day, he said, listen, you don't realize when a child can master a skill, let alone a ball mastery skill with their feet, by the age of four or five or six, he said, Tom, that's a big deal. And he yelled it to me. He says, because then they can take that belief even into a math exam when they go to school. So this is a part that we want to really shine a big light on because, you know, it's a, we don't want to, you know, we're not telling people that, you know, go out and, 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 and you know, um, use our, our ideas because we want your kids to become professional players because we know that that's a, that's a bunch of baloney. I mean, the percentage of kids that become a professional are so tiny. But we do know that if we lift the bottom, it's going to push the top. So indirectly, um, obviously, if you've got a lot of kids at the entry level who are much better technically and they're off to a flying start, well, then you're, you're the, the, the player pool for elite player development is going to grow exponentially. And that's what the problem in the States has been is that, you know, we've got millions and millions of kids that play but, you know, that gap between the very best and the worst or the least developed, I don't like to say the word worst, but the least developed is, is quite big. So we want to try to close that at the entry level. Um, a, a question that I had written down as you were as you started to talk right there was you, you said that a lot of research took place between the first and second edition of your book. And I'm wondering if you've changed your mind about anything from from the time that you released the first edition to the time you released the second edition? Yeah, when I say a lot of research took place, maybe I, I, I misspoke. Uh, what I was saying is that we actually did a lot of research and we actually um, put a little bit more, not a lot, it's not a lot, it's only a little bit part extra inside the book, but it just reaffirms and, and it explains a little bit more in detail of the science part of, okay, well, why is it good for doing it inside the house? Well, because inside the house is a safe protective environment away from ridicule and that interaction that understanding of a child's need for parental approval creates an electrical you know chemical process in the brain called emotions and emotional environment supercharges deep learning and long-term memory so those kind of things are very important so that parents can understand 
okay, well, why would we bring the game inside? Why wouldn't I just do it outside? Or why couldn't I, you know, just get my coach to read your book and then he could do it? But there's we've what we were really zeroing in on is that special relationship between a child and a parent. And then the other thing, too, is, is that, again, when you study and you look at the research, if you know what you're looking for, the neural pathways for a child, about 80% of them, are basically already developed by the age of six. So if, if, if you understand that, that's a, unfortunately a pretty small window for developing neural pathways. So what I keep saying now is, is that you know the football world hasn't really caught up to what science already knows, and that is, is that the skill acquisition can happen at a much earlier stage. So that's what I'm talking about, you know, a little bit more of the science or the research behind it. I haven't changed anything, philosophy or or any principles of what we're talking about, but I surely can understand it and explain it better in easy kind of layman's terms when I get in front of a room full of, you know, three, four hundred parents. So that makes it more, you know, understandable, makes it more credible, and people can say, aha, all right, well, listen, we're, it's not, this isn't just for just for developing soccer players, but it's just for developing young children and well-being and self, uh, you know, and also, you know, it gives it, we're giving an opportunity to parents to have some real quality time with their children, especially parents that haven't necessarily played or coached at any high level, but with a couple of these simple, easy-to-do exercises inside the house, mom and dad can become the teachers of their own children. And that really empowers families. I've had some families come and tell me uh, that, you know, if they had understood this uh, earlier, it could have changed the whole dynamics of their family and their connection with their own children. So when we hear that, you know, we're just happy to be at least, you know, coming out and, and trying to build on the first edition and in hopes that um, people will, you know, get even more excited about uh, what we're saying today. And one of the one of the funniest things I've I've encountered um, with your book, and actually it was when I recommended your book to uh, a parent. I, I volunteered to coach a, a U six rec team, which was a fun experience recently. And uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I ended up recommending your book to one of the players' parents that he he was one of the stronger players in, in the group and had shown you know a lot of interest in in the ball and wanting to learn more and, you know, showing up first, leaving last, that type of thing. And, and mom and dad said that he was, you know, just, just drooling every time they do a soccer practice day because he was so excited about going. So I recommended your book to him or to, to the mom. And one of the funniest things was that she, she bought the book and gave it to her son who was like five, I think, and thought that it was a kid, <laughs> that it was thought that the book was for him. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so he opens it. I guess he was looking at some of the pictures in the book. And then she realized like, oh, this is for me. This, is, this isn't for my son. I mean, it is for my son, but it, it, this is for me to learn. And so I kind of had to talk to her and explain to her like, yeah, like this is, this is giving you the tools that you need to, to become the, the person that, that you, your son works with at home. Like that's, that's the entire point of it. And it just, the, the whole it, experience with that was was really funny to me and so I'm, I'm curious if if that is something that you notice more often um you know the parents not realizing like hey like you know this is education for me as well yeah that, that it, we have actually to be honest it's been a 
big topic of discussion amongst my staff because some people think that the cover isn't quite appropriate for what the message is because when you look at it it's uh, like a comic book right but, so, but but that's cultural though isn't it isn't that kind of like your your i mean south well, the, or, or sorry yeah go ahead the, the problem is is that you know because we're dealing with multiple cultures right u.s versus japan or china or i just came back from iceland which is a whole different culture. Um, and the, like, for example, the Italians took our book and they have transformed it. If you see the cover of what it looks like or see the inside, it's like a different from a different planet. But they localized it so they know better for their culture what works. So they basically designed it around the Italian way. Um, but it's much different feel for what it is, you know, for the English version. So, yeah, again, it's adapting to to the different cultures because there is no one size fits all. But, you know, we keep the consistent message and that is, is that, you know, all parents and all families can benefit from this knowledge and an early start is an early is, is a good thing. What do, uh, what do people need to know about you or about your program or about what you are, are trying to do what, like your, your mission? Um, what, what do people really need to know about, about you, I guess, and, and what you're trying to do. I think they need to know that, you know, first of all, I come from my background and my experience. I have a very unusual skill set. I was a player. I was a coach of, you know, actually, you know, taking teams and playing in the competitive. I have, my career took a very unusual turn because I wound up here in Japan and, and just the way that things happened and the way that my whole career evolved where I've got lots of experience with holding events, you know, pitching to brands and sitting in the boardroom, convincing CEOs of major corporations, Volkswagen, Adidas, uh, AI Insurance, uh, different groups. Um, and then, you know, learned how to and, and have experience creating content, um, doing TV shows, writing articles. So what I'm saying is, is that I come from a very unique background. So I've been able to really look backwards and connect the dots so that I could look forward. You know, I'm 58 years old and I tell people that, you know, normally you, you, you tell people that you've got more yesterdays than tomorrows, but I surely feel every day I wake up that I've got more tomorrows than I've got yesterdays because I have been able to go through and reinvent myself. I worked for that Curver program, which is a, a quite uh, a controversial program because it focuses on technical skills. And in the early days, all of the Will Curver videos were mostly isolated training on a post. Um, and it was basically, I think it was presented in a, in an, in a very difficult way where the program has evolved significantly, but still um, there's a lot of criticism about this isolated training, blah, blah, blah. But the whole point is, is that I didn't just fall off a truck and write a book about, you know, football or soccer starts at home. This is based on 30 years of my experience. This is based on, you know, being able to have worked with, you know, some of the top players in the world, some of the presented to the top federations in the world and confederations and, and professional clubs. And this is important because of credibility. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be invited into Ajax or I wouldn't be invited, you know, to present to the Bundesliga who sends a group of people to my hotel in Beijing with Karl Heinz Riedel, World Cup champion. So I wouldn't be taken seriously if we didn't have something of interest. Right. So I, I'd like people to know, you know, that this is based on many, many years of observation and experience and then connecting it because I had coached so many years for so many decades, other people's kids 
And then I really had to rethink when my own children came. And so, you know, it's it, John, it's pretty rare that you can have a career where, for example, even being in Japan here for 30 years, I've literally seen children, and I'm talking about young children, play and see what kind of development they go through, what kind of training do they do, how do they perform on the pitch, how do they get selected for elite player development, and then they go on to national teams and they win World Cup tournaments like our J- Japanese women's team. I've seen that. So I've, I've seen from zero to, let's say, 100. I've also seen coaches that have never had any coaching experience and don't have a coaching license and that were players retire from playing, get into coaching, be my assistant for a few years doing events, go and get their coaching credentials, and then they coach the Japan national team at Costa Rica at the Under-17 World Cup, and they win the World Cup scoring 23 goals and allowing one. And then they go on like they just did in the summertime and coach the Japan national team in a World Cup tournament in France. So what I'm saying is I've been able to see things and be able to correlate and see, okay, well, well, wh- wh- why have these people become so good? And so this is really all of the work that I've been doing for many, many decades rolled up into one thing, and that is, is that I started to figure out that at the entry level of the sport seems to be uh, not understood. And it's still in the United States, the under six segment is a very undervalued age group that people don't really pay attention to. So, you know, maybe that's something that I might, you know, you're asking me, you know, what do I want people to know? I want them to know a little bit that how I've come to these assumptions. I didn't just all of a sudden, you know, come up with it overnight. And this has taken me decades and decades of, you know, being in the trenches and doing thousands of events for hundreds of thousands of children and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And then trying to put it into, you know, a, a pretty easy, easily read book that, you know, maybe takes you two hours to read. You have a very interesting perspective when it comes to Japan and, and Japanese soccer. You've mentioned a little bit about the national team programs. I messaged you maybe two years ago when I was watching the youth, the, the boys' youth national team play, the, uh, the Japan boys' youth national team play at a tournament in Europe. And you made an interesting comment to me at the time. I'm sure you get hundreds of messages. So you probably don't remember, but um, you, you you mentioned something about the, the the boys' side or the men's side having a long way to go uh, compared to the women's side. And so I, yeah. I, I'd be I'd be curious to get your your thoughts on that because Japan women or, or the uh, Japanese women seem to be a very popular topic even in American soccer circles, they, they, they tend to be the example that a lot of people point to when it comes to, Hey, th- these women are catching, are catching up to the American women. Like these are going to be the women that, 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 that beat down the door and leave American soccer outside. So uh, I'm really curious to get your perspective on the difference between the men's and the women's programs in Japan and, and kind of how that's playing out as well. Well, the women here in, the, in Japan are basically outliers, I mean, I hate to say this, but everything on paper says that the Japanese women's team should be crap, to be honest with you. Um, We've got, in total, only 255 girls-only under-12 teams. Japan's the only country in the world that's won every single FIFA World Cup tournament, from the seniors in 2011 to the under-20 World Cup and the under-17s, and they've done it in a space of seven years. 
Okay. So when you look at that and you try to figure out, okay, well, what's happening there? Well, it's very simple. A couple of different things. First of all, um, the, bo- the girls get a big boost because they play with the boys. So a lot of, so although there's only 255 U12 girls only teams, a majority of girls play with boys. So up until the age of 12, they get a big bump from that because the, the boys game is very, very healthy, especially technically. And also because at the entry level of the sport, at the core, is ball mastery. It's just simple as that, man. It's as simple as that. And then if you look at the the style that they play, which is a very, you know, basically, uh, you know, um, keep, keep the ball type of, of uh, a ball possession. Sometimes I lose my English words here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very possession-based game. And no one player is ever more important than the team is. It's those simple things, you know, and so when I said that a couple of years back, because the women have always, you know, outperformed the men, but again, also in fairness as well, you know, up until now, at least there's been, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's obviously much more difficult. We've got 211 member associations in FIFA, all of those 211 member association countries have men's programs and the women don't. So the women have gotten a head start among, um, uh, you know, before lots of other countries, um, but uh, here's an interesting thing because I know that you know that I've got a very close relationship with Anson Dorrance. And so Anson and I talk often and I spend quite a bit of time, a couple times a year, I'm down at his home and we talk a lot of, a lot of football or soccer. You know, the big trend now is, is that when you look at the women's world cup and you see the progress that the women's teams in Europe in particular have made, they've made one giant leap forward. It hasn't been incremental. A lot of these women, uh, these countries just threw their hat in the ring for the women's game. And to see how quickly, like England, France, Spain, Italy, Holland, uh, Belgium. And it comes down to this. Those are, those are primarily football cultures where the women are literally marinated in football. And the difference between those countries and America is that in the European countries, they watch the game more. They watch it. They just don't only play, but they watch. And I would maintain, and Anson does as well, is that the girls in the United States, they don't watch. They don't watch as much or as intense or follow the game and become students of the game. So this is a real danger. And here in Japan, the girls watch it. They watch it a lot. They watch it a lot. Um, They follow the national team, both the men and the women's teams. Um, So you've got much more students of the game here in Japan than you do in other cultures. That's for sure. But again, you know, the men, the men, the men have gotten by, I think purely on their technical ability because the technical level is so higher in Japan, but we still can't break into that kind of next kind of level um, where then, you know, it comes down to, you know, and, and this is the big misunderstanding that everybody keeps thinking that Tom Byer thinks, oh, you know, as long as the kids are technically good, they're going to become great players. Baloney. I've never said that. What I've said is that if you get the foundation part right and you get players that are technically, you know, genius, then you've got a great chance of building all the rest of the other parts of the game, on, uh, of which are, you know, the tactical the systems, a positional play, all of that. So I've never said that technique is just the only thing, although with the young kids, Technique usually wins with the very young kids, and that's just obvious reasons, right? But um, no, those are my thoughts of, with Japan. And um, one of the weaknesses of the Japan game is is that the coaching the coaching is not at a very high level here. That that's the reality of it. And until we've got more Japanese coaches that go abroad 
and come back with other churning methodologies or at least um, different uh, different uh, um, other ideas, um, we're going to struggle because it still seems like the best results that Japan gains on the men's side is when we have a, a Japanese national team head coach from who's Japanese. Um, but still, we've got you know we've got players. Half of our most of our national team plays in Europe, but then they come back, and then the current coach is, is Moriyasu, who I know, who's completely a, a domestic coach. So it's got to be difficult for him to connect with kids, young guys that are coming back and playing in the Bundesliga, playing in La Liga, playing in the Premier League, and then they're coming back to a purely domestic kind of environment. So those are just kind of some of my quick thoughts on on what's happening in Japan. Well, what's funny is I'm, and like I said, I'm sure you don't remember the the text exchange that we had, you know, two years ago. But you're you're reiterating pretty much the same exact thing that you that you texted me two years yeah. ago. So, so you're, I mean, you're spot on with with what your what your thoughts have been probably for quite a while. Um, and I should probably mention too that that game that I was at, Japan versus USA, U17s, I believe. Japan beat USA 4-0. Kubo had an amazing game. Josh Sargent was on the field. Uh, Tim Weah was on the field for United States. Like, you know, it was, it was U.S.'s. Um, Andrew Carlton was there. Um, Chris Gloucester. Like, all the guys that were just at the U-20 World Cup for the United States. Those were the guys that were on the, on the field, and, and Japan wiped the floor with us 4-0. So, uh, and, and your, your comments were, yeah, you know, the, the, the coaching – uh, is what needs to improve, not the not the player's technical ability. It's the coaching, and, and that's interesting. Yeah, to say ab- it again. absolutely. The education system is so completely different than the United States, and I know that again firsthand because I've got two boys that go to a purely Japanese public school. Okay, so my kids aren't, you know, they're not in a the you know expensive international English speaking school. They walk to school like the rest of Japan does, and they go to public schools. So there's good and there's bad. I mean, that's a whole other debate and a whole other conversation. <laughs> but the reality is, is that Japanese kids aren't really encouraged to speak much or develop their personalities by um, by uh, by exchanging ideas and, and and questioning things. There's no real debating in Japanese education. It's basically one way, and basically teachers talk to you directly, and you don't really you're not you're, you're not expected to give feedback. Whereas, you know, in America, it's like the old saying, oh, the, you know, the only stupid question is the question you don't ask and the kid that doesn't raise his hands a dummy and all this stuff, you know. But here in Japan, there's a, a saying in Japanese, it goes, ienai kachi. Ienai kachi means the person who doesn't speak wins. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So, again, you're talking about different cultures, right? So with different cultures, you need different approaches and you've got different problems, but you've got, uh, you've got good things as well. It's a good and a bad. Yeah. Where where can people connect with you? Where can people find information about the latest edition of the book? Where can people find more content from you? Sure. The um, the book, the big difference is now is we used to sell it through Japan here, but now we've sourced it and we've set up a fulfillment um, operation in several different places in America. So it's printed in America and it can be gotten quicker. And I'll say it right now what it is. It's a URL. It's quite long, but if you can just remember, it's basically soccer starts at home book.com and if you go if you go to soccer starts at home book.com you'll land on the on the website there's a there's a uh, there's a wonderful testimonial from our good friend because I know you know him as well Anson Dorrance a video um, of Anson on that page 
talking about our program and the importance of it and how he wants to bring it to North Carolina. Um, and you can order the book there. It's I think it's pretty reasonably priced. You'll get it in just a couple of days. And I think it'll be well worth your time and cost to read it because I think we've we've put some pretty good information together for everybody. Yeah, and, and to to double down on, on what Anson and, and you believe, Anson said the same thing when I interviewed him at his at his kitchen table, actually. Um, that you know, his teams, what he's noticed when he, he you know, he's coached some of the most prolific teams, um, iconic teams in, in American soccer history. And he said that, yeah, the the women they don't watch the game. The, a lot of a lot of his best players never never really watched the game, and, and the only time that they would watch the game is if their boyfriend was playing, um, you know, on, on on the men's team at, at UNC. They would go watch those games, and that was about it. Or if their boyfriends were watching, uh, getting up early and watching the EPL games or something. And, and well, you know, uh, people are going to hear that, yeah. and they're going to probably freak out that that you know I said that or that we that we think that. But um, that that was his observation. And, and he, you know, I'll, who t- I'll tell you what, just to give you a pat on the back. I would urge everybody to go back through your files and listen to that Anson Dorrance um, interview because Anson is a good friend of mine, and I've spent a lot of time with Anson. I mean, I, I literally, he invites me into his home, and I stay in his home, sleep downstairs in his basement, and I learned more from that interview than from hanging around with Anson, and, <laughs> I'm, pretty, and, I'm, pre- and I'm pretty close to him. That's cool. So you, 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 got, you got a really good interview. I, I would say that's one of the best interviews i've ever heard of anson dorrance and i've heard many oh, i appreciate I, that I, I really appreciate it. my skin just kind of got goosebumps <laughs> yeah that was great that was awesome it was unbelievable and and i again go back and listen to that and that is a really really from you know this you know anson dorrance 22 or 23 times ncaa division one national champion i mean he's forgot more than most of us are ever going to learn in a lifetime and so he's one of the good guys in the game and I just saw they dedicated the field to to him the other day. They they just opened their new field, and that's that's pretty exciting. That's an that's an awesome moment for him. It's it's actually happening today. Oh, Thursday. is it? Yes. Yeah. I sent him a note yesterday congratulating him. So that's, that's awesome. going to happen today on Thursday in the U.S. That's awesome. That's awesome. So this will actually this will probably get released on the same day. So people are going to be hearing this the same time that he's probably out on a field cutting a ribbon or something. Good stuff. <laughs> Very cool, Tom. Um, anything else you you want to get off your chest before um, before we uh, wrap it up? Well, other than you know, I've I've learned to become more disciplined on Twitter these days. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Um, Twitter's been a bit of a disappointment of recent. I mean, I think it might be. And again, I, I don't have tons of followers, but I've hit like you know eleven thousand, and it seems like the more followers you have the more kind of kooks that you have or the trolls that come out <laughs> yep uh I've, I'm, I'm starting to spend a little bit less time and i'll tell you what one good thing is linkedin seems to be a very good social networking platform for football um so uh you might not see me as much on twitter uh, and you can find me maybe on linkedin because uh it kind of does my head in there's some there's some real people out there that don't do their homework and they engage people that they wouldn't normally have access to and I don't mind being an engaged because I'm an open book, transparent, and I've opened myself up to ridicule by the biggest and the best in the world. But when you don't do your homework and you ask silly questions and you try to, you know, kind of define someone through like one tweet, uh, it's just it gets a little old for me now. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like people go into it with with the mission of trying to just discredit. Uh, yeah. and, and it's very disingenuous and, and, you know, they're, they're just looking for any, any crack in, in the armor and, and it's, it's really unfortunate. 
Yeah, I mean the good the good news is is that I'm I've get you know the the overwhelming number of responses I get are positive. Yeah, but you just get the one or two trolls out there that are just like you got to really shake your head and say, oh my goodness, where are these guys coming from? Yep. But anyway, yep. luckily we've got platforms such as the three four three podcast um, <laughs> where we can get our message out and get it out in much finer detail. So I, I always. Uh, Love chatting with you, so thank you for the opportunity to to to, to speak to your uh, your listeners. Absolutely, man. You got a lot of big fans in in our corner, so uh, whatever we can do to help you out, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would would be happy to help. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that Tom signed up for one of our courses. So here is Tom himself to tell you about that experience. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense, and it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.